our great Lord, our Father in heaven, the one who sent your eternal Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. We give you thanks and praise today for you gather your people together. You pile up benefits and blessings for us. You mark us as your own treasured possession and promise us a glorious future inheritance. All honor and praise are due to you with your Son and the Holy Spirit. You are our Creator, and all you have made reveals your goodness to us. The sun reminds us of Jesus, the light of the world. The moon reminds us we are to reflect His light into the world. The rain reminds us that you cleansed us in the waters of baptism. The thunder reminds us of your powerful voice. The clouds remind us of your heavenly throne chariot. And the wind reminds us of your Holy Spirit blowing where He wills. We know all of history is but the unfolding of your book of decrees. For you have offered, authored the story of the cosmos in every detail. We know our chapter in this story is full of tragedy and triumph. But we ask that you would help us to be faithful to you in all things. When we see evil in the world around us, we ask you to help us to forgive our enemies and pray for those who persecute your church and to be confident that Christ is the conqueror who will overcome. Today, as your people gather around the world, some with joy and some with grief, may we give you thanks in all our circumstances. May we know your peace. May we receive your promise of forgiveness in faith. Be with us here to bless us. Give yourself to us today as we draw near to you. May you draw near to us. May we hear your voice speaking to us as the scripture is read and preached. May we feast upon Christ Jesus at the table you spread for us. This we pray, giving you all glory, O Father in heaven, with your Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, existing in three persons, from everlasting to everlasting, to whom all glory, honor, and power are due. This we pray. Amen. Our sermon text this morning is the gospel lesson that we had just heard. We'll reread, starting in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we've heard, as you know, this is the season of Epiphany. This is the second Sunday of Epiphany. Epiphany is the uh, celebration of the manifestation of Jesus, the manifestation of Jesus to the nations uh, with the Magi, the three uh, kings who come to uh, visit him, the Gentile kings. Uh, we see him uh, manifest in his baptism. Uh, we see his manifestation as, as uh, in power as he performs his first miracle, turning water into wine. Uh, this is all about the revelation of the identity of Jesus as the Son of God in flesh. This morning we're going to be considering his baptism by John in the Jordan River, and we'll be looking at what it uh, what is taking place in John the Baptist's ministry. Uh, we'll be considering what is taking place specifically in Jesus' baptism, and then we'll look to how the baptism of Jesus 
informs our understanding of our own baptism. Mark opens his gospel by looking back to the words of the prophet Isaiah. He says, starting in verse 2, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Isaiah is writing to a people in exile. He's writing to a people who are removed from their land in, in captivity. And Isaiah announces to them in chapter 40 of of Isaiah that deliverance is coming. Deliverance from exile is coming to God's people. And that deliverance, we see, takes the form of forgiveness of sins. He continues in, in Isaiah 40, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from Yahweh's hand double for all her sins. Israel was sent into exile because of their sin, because of their unfaithfulness, because of their rebellion against God. And so now for them to be delivered from exile means that their their sin is being forgiven. Their sin is being covered. To be delivered from exile is to have your sin dealt with. And into exile signals sin's covering for Israel. John the Baptist is proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he's doing this, Mark tells us, in the wilderness. He goes out into the wilderness to to baptize and to call the people of Israel to repentance. He doesn't just go to the wilderness, though, so that people can go uh, repent of their private sins and have a kind of a a getaway, a retreat, to have uh, some an intimate uh, setting for their personal religious experience. This is a a very corporate and public event. And John goes to the wilderness because that is a significant place for Israel. The wilderness is the place of exile for Israel. The the wilderness as a place of exile is woven into Israel's self-identity. They know that if they're going to the wilderness, they're acknowledging something very specific. They are acknowledging that they are a people of exile. They might be living in the land. They might be living in... Uh, in the promised land, but John is calling them to the wilderness to say, we need a new deliverance. We need to be uh, brought back into a right standing with our God. We need to be delivered from exile. After the exodus from Egypt, of course, God leads his people to the promised land, but right there at the border, they, they refuse to enter. They see the inhabitants of the land and they're fearful. They don't obey God's uh, command to enter. They complain and grumble, and God's judgment on them for their grumbling and their disbelief is that they're going to spend 40 more years wandering in the wilderness. God finally brings the people under Joshua's leadership across the Jordan into the land, but that, that wilderness time is, their, uh, is their, their, a time of discipline for their sin, a time of, of judgment. And here John the Baptist is calling, is calling the people of Israel into the wilderness uh, to be brought into a new a new exodus. Of course, the people are, as we've said, uh, in the land. They're not they're not in exile. So why why is John the Baptist calling them uh, to a new exodus? Israel's exile in Babylon and Judah's in Assyria lasted seventy years. 
followed by a return to the land and the rebuilt temple. Jeremiah's prophecy was fulfilled. The people were brought back to the land. Their exile was over. But there's still right away an awareness that the people are, they may be back in the land, but all is not well, all is not as it should be. Ezra sees this in Ezra 9. Uh, he, he understands that they're still, in a, in a very real sense, slaves. The promises of return are, are really being fulfilled, but the fullness of God's outpouring of the Spirit that we read about in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Joel, it's yet to come in a, in a real sense for the people. Daniel has shown this in, in his vision. Daniel sees that uh, the people are going to be brought back. Jeremiah's prophecies are being fulfilled. But Israel's exile is really going to extend another 490 years. Not an exile out of the land, but a, a spiritual kind of exile of the people. Of course, if we do the math, that leads us right about to somewhere in the time of the ministry of Jesus. Israel is in exile awaiting the coming of, their, of her Messiah. So John the Baptist is out here in the wilderness calling the people to repentance, calling them to a, a water-crossing event in the Jordan River. He is declaring to the people that they are, in fact, still in exile. And those who are coming to him for baptism are acknowledging that truth. They're confessing that they are in sin and in need of deliverance. They need a new exodus. And here is John preparing the way of the Lord. And the way... The way is being prepared by leading the people to repentance. So we're at another water-crossing event for Israel. We're at another exodus. A new Israel is being formed. The new exodus is underway. But not only is a a new Israel being formed, not just a new Israel, but uh, just as God's Spirit hovered over the waters of creation in Genesis 1, so God's Spirit is now hovering over the waters in Jesus' baptism, as we read the Spirit descends from heaven over the waters of Jesus' baptism to form a new creation, a new world. A new Israel is being formed, and in that, in that event, a new creation is being formed as well. This new exodus that John the Baptist is calling the people to will bring about what God had long promised. Israel will be a blessing to all the nations. The whole world will be reformed and renewed. So we understand why, why John the Baptist is, is out here in the wilderness calling the people of Israel to, uh, to be baptized for a baptism of repentance. But why is, why is Jesus being baptized? Of course, Jesus didn't have any sins to repent of. Well, one thing we can notice is that the baptism that Jesus receives isn't the normal baptism that John the Baptist administers. John speaks about his own baptism that he gives and the baptism of the Christ who is to come. And he says that these are two different kinds of baptism. John says that he baptizes with water for, for repentance, for, for, for the forgiveness of sins. So this is a, this is a significant and, and great baptism that John the Baptist is giving. But he says the baptism of, of the Christ who is coming will be even greater. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist's baptism that he's giving is a baptism of repentance. The baptism of Christ is going to bring uh, the, the Holy Spirit. But then what do we see when, when Jesus comes to be baptized? He doesn't receive the kind of baptism from John that everyone else is receiving. He, he receives in his baptism the Spirit. The Spirit descends upon him from the heavens. 
So Jesus' baptism in the Jordan is the first of a new kind of baptism that John tells us is coming. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. Uh, This is the first of of a new kind of baptism, an outpouring of the Spirit that Joel tells us about in in Joel 2. But secondly, and and, uh, primarily for for our um, thought this morning, Jesus receives baptism because he's taking up in himself the role of Israel. As Israel's Messiah, as the anointed servant of Yahweh, Jesus is Israel reduced to one. We can see this in in Isaiah's servant songs. Again, if we look back to Isaiah, in uh, chapters 42 through 43, we we see Isaiah speaking of uh, Israel as a a nation, and then he gradually moves to speaking of Israel as as this single individual who's going to represent the whole. Uh, God moves from addressing Israel as a whole nation to addressing Israel, the individual in whom the whole is represented. This, This singular Israel will bear the sins of a whole nation and will live faithfully on behalf of the whole nation. Faithful to Yahweh's, uh, faithful to Yahweh, uh, he will be the light to the nations that Israel was always called to be. You can see this in Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. The servant is going to take up the role that Israel was always called to and take up the the mission that Israel was called to fulfill. Then again in Isaiah 49, starting in in verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Yahweh called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And skipping down to verse 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says Yahweh, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of Yahweh who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. So we see in uh, chapter 49, this moves from an, an explicit uh, reference to, to a servant, to the servant being Israel himself. Israel uh, is reduced to this one servant of Yahweh who will be faithful. Uh, faithful to God and faithful to the mission that God has called Israel to be, uh, the, to be the light of the nations. Jesus is Israel personified, and he is living faithfully as Israel was called to do. We can see this if we, would, uh, if we continue after Jesus' baptism. Immediately after his baptism, Mark tells us, he's driven into the wilderness for 40 days. There's the, the wilderness again. The Spirit drives him into the wilderness for 40 days. And of course, 40 is never an incidental or an, or an accidental number in the Bible. This is another uh, wilderness wandering period. But what is Jesus going to do in the wilderness? Is he going to grumble and complain? Is he going to, uh, to be unfaithful to, uh, to Israel's God? No, he, he resists the temptation that he faces in the wilderness. He lives as Israel 
was called to live. He remains faithful, and Israel, uh, Jesus as Israel, is the recipient, therefore, of all of God's promises to Israel. As Paul tells us, all the promises of God find their yes in him. So Jesus is taking up the role of Israel, and all of the eschatological promises that God gives to Israel are being fulfilled now in his, uh, in the person of Jesus himself. So Jesus is Israel personified here. But what's more, he is Israel's God in person. Jesus is fulfilling the role of Israel, but he's also Israel's God coming to visit his people. We saw that, that Mark is quoting from Isaiah, but the, the first line in that, uh, in that quotation is actually from the book of Malachi, uh, where he says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. Malachi 3, uh, the context there, Malachi is speaking of the, the coming uh, of, of God to his people, the visit, uh, God visiting his, his temple. He says, The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. So part of the expectation of this new exodus that the people were, were looking for was the coming of Yahweh to visit his people. The judgment uh, for the uh, Yahweh was coming to bring judgment for uh, those who are faithful. Uh, sorry, judgment to those who are unfaithful to His covenant, and deliverance to those who are faithful. Deliverance for the remnant. When Yahweh comes, He comes to judge and to deliver. Jesus is Israel's God, and He is now visiting Israel to judge those who are unfaithful and to deliver this uh, the remnant, the faithful, through His death and resurrection. So he is Israel, and he is Israel's Lord. He is man, and he is man's creator. Jesus is coming as Israel and as Israel's God to bring the reconciliation of Israel and her God in himself. And he is coming, and so in in doing that, he is bringing also the reconciliation of of heavens and the earth. Jesus is the union of Israel and her God, and he's the union of heaven and earth. When Jesus is baptized, Mark makes the point of telling us that when he comes up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. This is the fulfillment of the words of Isaiah 64 that we heard read this morning, where Isaiah, where we read that the heavens are going to be rent open, torn open, and God will pour forth his spirit to his people. Isaiah says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. And here we see that process beginning. The heavens are being torn open. On day two of, of the creation week, if we back up in, in time a bit to Genesis 1, on day two, God separates the waters below from the waters above. God creates an expanse between the two. The, the waters above are separating the realm of, of creation from, uh, from God's realm, from the heavens. This division between the heavens and the earth, uh, God fills on day four with, uh, with the, the heavenly lights, with the sun, moon, and stars, uh, placing in, in the firmament a visual heaven. This is, uh, this is though, the, the only day that we see that God does not declare what he has made to be good. Now, does that... Does that mean God you know, made a mistake or whatnot? It's not that it was bad, but 
Uh, it does seem that it wasn't intended to be a permanent reality. It wasn't intended to, to stay that way. God's intention all along was for heaven and earth to be brought together, was for man to be brought into God's realm, for God's reign in heaven to be brought down to, to the earth, as we pray each week that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. After the fall, however, this uh, this water above seems to have frozen in a sense. Symbolically, uh, the division becomes impenetrable. Ezekiel describes the expanse as a, a crystal sea. You, know, you, you can imagine swimming through some waters above, but good luck getting through a crystal sea, right? But uh, uh, this expanse, this water above becomes impenetrable, the, the division between heaven and earth. John sees this as well in, in Revelation. Uh, in Revelation, he enters uh, in his vision into the heavens and he sees a sea of glass before the throne. Well, the, the direction that, that we're going in redemption is for, for that uh, division to be broken. Ezekiel uh, sees a crystal sea, but then he prophesies that Yahweh will sprinkle clean water on the people from on high and pour out his spirit upon them in, in Ezekiel 36. John in Revelation 15 sees eventually the saints pass through the sea of glass with the song of Moses on their lips. So the goal of redemption is marrying God's realm and man's realm together. And now in Jesus' baptism, that's starting to take place. God is punching through the sea of glass. Jesus is opening the way for humanity into God's presence. And God is pouring out His Spirit from on high. Well, John... Sorry, Mark uses a, a very uh, specific term there when, when he says that. He says the heavens are being torn open. He uses that same term again later in, in the Gospel in Mark 15 when at the, at the death of Jesus, the temple curtain is, is torn open. The, the temple curtain corresponds to, uh, to that firmament separation. It kept us from, from getting into God's throne room presence. In Jesus' baptism, he opens, he begins to open the way for us into God's presence. At his death and resurrection, that way is, is being fully open for us. Jesus is, is making a way for us to come into God's presence. The firmament is, the firmament was visualized in the tabernacle and the, the temple by the curtain before the most holy place. And, uh, and now Jesus' death is opening the way, giving us access to the Most Holy, giving us priestly access to God. So Jesus is Israel, and He is Israel's God. So too He is man and man's Creator in one. Jesus' incarnation, His baptism, His death, His resurrection, His ascension to the right hand of God is bringing about the reconciliation of God and man in Himself. Well, what's, what's going on then in our baptism? We see what's going on in Jesus' baptism. Jesus is opening the way for us to, uh, to the heavens. Jesus is bringing about the reconciliation of God and man. But we also see uh, gifts given to Jesus. We can see what's, what happens as, as gifts that are given to, to Jesus. As Mark tells us, when he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So what's Jesus given then? He's given access to the heavens, he's given the Spirit, and he's 
given adoption as, as the Son. Of course, He is the eternal Son of God, but here we, receive, we see Him being declared to be the Son of God. Uh, this is the, the um, messianic sonship, the kingly sonship that, uh, that's been prophesied. Jesus is given access to the heavenlies, uh, to, the, to the throne room of God. He's given the Spirit, and He's given adoption by the Father. The same gifts, then, that Jesus receives, we receive in our own baptism. We receive in our, in our own relationship with God. The heavens are open uh, to Jesus, and the heavens are open to us as well. We are baptized with, uh, with water from above. We are born from above, as we're told in John 3. To be given access to the sanctuary means that we are, are priests like him. We are priests like Jesus. We see this in our, our epistle lesson that we heard in Hebrews 9, sorry, in Hebrews 10. Uh, we'll read starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus, in his baptism, uh, sees the heavens opened. In our baptism, we see the heavens open to us as well. Granted, we don't. We, if you're baptized here, you look up and you still see the, the white ceiling, but understand by faith that this is what's happening for you. This is what is, is being given to you. You are being given priestly access to the holy place. You are being given access to God. Jesus receives the Spirit in his baptism, and the Spirit is poured out on us as well. Uh, Peter tells us in, in Acts, Peter uh, speaks of the, the baptism of repentance uh, that, that we uh, are given. That we, we receive the Spirit in our baptism as well. Jesus is declared to be the Son of God at his baptism, and of course, uh, he is uh, the eternal Son, but he, he receives that declaration of, of sonship. Well, we, in the same way, are declared to be the sons of God. We are children of God, baptized into his family. You are baptized into sonship. So really, there's just one baptism, as, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. We are baptized into Christ's death and his resurrection, we're baptized into his baptism. We're baptized into union with him. And so we receive the fullness of the gifts that he receives. All the, all the baptisms that we receive are participation, are participation in Jesus. Well, that's the, that's the good news. You're, you're baptized into the same gifts that Jesus receives. But you know, you can, you can count on it that if you are given the same gifts that Jesus receives, then Immediately, you will be driven into the wilderness too, right? You know, we we can count on facing temptations just like just like Jesus faced temptations after his baptism. Mark tells us the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals, and the angels were serving him, ministering to him. In other in other gospels, where we see the way that he combats the temptations that he faces in the wilderness. If you're baptized into union with Christ, you can count on being, uh, on facing temptations just like he did. You're going to be uh, experiencing some wilderness wandering and temptation in your life. Now that's, that's a given. You've, you've already experienced that. You're going to experience it again. We're baptized into Christ, and we receive the same spirit that he 
received, and by that Spirit we are called to face temptation and persevere. So by that same Spirit we're called to to persevere in grace. So the baptism of Jesus shows Israel and shows the world that heaven and earth are going to be reconciled and united. Access to God's throne will be restored, and that reconciliation happens in the person of Jesus. We are given full access to the Father in Him, and we have the same Spirit by whom we walk and persevere in faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we give you thanks for your grace to us that you have given us your Son who lived on our behalf faithful to you, that he uh, lived faithfully before you, that he gave up his his life for our sake on the cross, that you vindicated him on the third day in raising him from the dead. Lord, we thank you for the gifts that you give to us. Thank you that you have declared us to be your children. You've given us your spirit and brought us to your throne room. Father, I pray that you would help us to walk and persevere in this grace. In Jesus' name, amen. As God's royal priesthood, let's stand together as we intercede. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the baptism of your Son, that he is our great high priest who has opened the way for us into the heavenly sanctuary. And we thank you that we are baptized into his priesthood, that we share with him in that privilege. And so we come before you boldly in faith to intercede on behalf of the church and the world. Hear our prayers and make them effective for the sake of your son by the power of your spirit. Father, prosper and defend your church, the body and bride of Christ, that she would be found faithful at the coming of her Lord. We especially ask that you would further the work of the Theopolis Institute, that you would bless the churches of the Athanasius Presbytery, as well as the congregations of your people in and around the city of Birmingham. Reform the church's worship, sanctify her ministers, heal her divisions, purge her of heresy and error, convert her oppressors, and make her fruitful in ministry and mission. Cultivate faithfulness and holiness within this congregation and grant that all Christians would embody your love in our worship, fellowship, and service so that we might see your kingdom expanded and the nations discipled. Almighty God, we thank you that you have given all the nations of the earth to your Son as his inheritance and that you have put everything in subjection under his feet. Fill the rulers of the earth with reverent fear so that they may govern in accordance with your will and establish your justice and righteousness on the earth. Bring an end to war and bloodshed. Deliver the oppressed and strengthen your church in the face of affliction. Father, have mercy upon our own nation and pour out your spirit on those to whom you have given authority in our land. Forgive us of when we have arrogantly called good evil and evil good and grant us repentance to turn from our rebellion. Deliver us from the rule of ungodly magistrates and judges and purify your church in our land so that our society would be renewed and reformed. We pray for our city and state and all elected officials who are serving under your authority. Bless them with wisdom, all local mayors, councilmen, commissioners, and judges would carry out your will and uphold 
the good and peace of the land. Grant that your justice and mercy would characterize our civic life and that all in authority would exercise humility and the fear of the Lord without partiality or self-interest. We ask that godliness and sound learning would be promoted in our schools and universities. We pray that you would give protection and patience to our law enforcement officers and bring about the reforms that are needed in our courts and prisons. Bless all who work to minister your healing and comfort in hospitals and clinics of our community. Be with the poor and vulnerable, that they would be delivered from their distress. And God of all comfort, we bring before you all who are afflicted and oppressed with poverty, sickness, unemployment, and any other trouble of body or mind. Strengthen and sustain all who are in need of physical healing, especially those struggling with cancer. Show mercy to those afflicted with chronic illness or debilitating diseases. Uphold those to whom death draws near. Comfort all who grieve and envelop them in your peace. Lord, we thank you for the birth of Kale Maddox and ask you to bless and sustain all expectant mothers in our congregation. Lord, grant us humility to submit to your sovereign will and wise providence. Refine us through our afflictions and fill us with hope even in the midst of our suffering. Teach us contentment in every situation and the joy that comes when we lay down our lives for you and for one another. All these things and whatever else you see that we need, grant us, O Father, for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, who died and rose again and now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, age after age. And now hear us as we pray together as our Savior has taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.